we live in this really interesting time where it, it seems like, and, and, and maybe this has always been this way, but it just seems like it's, it's pretty specific to maybe the last 10, 15, 20 years. We, we live in this like world of apology. We live, we live in this culture, this cycle of constant apology, and it always seems like it's some kind of celebrity, it's a sports figure, it's a politician, it's somebody famous, it's almost weekly that you see someone get behind a podium and have to apologize for something that they have done in their life, right? And it just seems like there's this constant thing, like it's always, you're never surprised anymore by the names of the people who come forward and have to apologize for something that they did in their past. And, and what's, what's really interesting about it is that it's rare to see someone actually get up and actually apologize, right? I, I almost consider it, it's not really apologizing anymore. It's like we live in a culture of just excuse. And it's not really asking for any sort of forgiveness. It's just people standing at a podium and saying, well, if I maybe did that, I don't really know. But if I hurt somebody, I'm really sorry about it. I really hope I didn't hurt them. Uh, you know, I don't really know what happened. And then they kind of disappear. And then like three months later, the person shows back up and they're right back into doing whatever they did before, making all sorts of money, leading something here, doing something here. And it's just constantly over and over again. So the politician who has to apologize for the thing that they've done, they get up, they sort of not really apologize, and then three months later you see they're running for office and they get elected again. And you're like, what is going on? Like, how does that even begin to happen? And they always have, well, anyways. So, so there's that, you know, and then there's the, the person who's the, who is the, um, who's the actor. You know, they get up and they apologize, and then you kind of, they disappear for a while, or everybody says, well, we're going to stop watching their movies, and then they're right back, and you kind of go, what's going on here? It doesn't, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Because we, we identify then with the victims, and we say, so what about them? You know, what about their story? They don't get to go back to normal life again. They've had their life destroyed by this person from however long ago, and they're going to continue to have it destroyed by this person, and they get to watch this person just ask for sort of forgiveness from the systems that be, and we just kind of move on and just do it all over again. And the thing about it is that here, here's the reality, and this is tough for some of us. We live in a social media-driven world where all of our past is how many clicks away? One. One click away. And all of us at some point in life have something where we said, I surely hope nobody finds out about that. And so we start to ask this question about forgiveness. So what, what do we do? And, and, and some of this, we ask questions like, okay, so, so here's some I wrote down. You know, what does is, what is actual forgiveness look like? What does it look like to apologize? What does it look like to wrestle with that idea of forgiveness? And here's another one. Who gets a do-over? Who gets to call the mulligan? Does the person who made the mistake, do they get to call the mulligan, say, my bad, let me try again. I'll be better this time. And then the other question I think we tend to ask then is, okay, so who gets what they deserve? So if they get to call the mall again, at what point do they get what they actually deserve? And I think that's the culture we sit in. These people say things, they apologize, they stand up, say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Then you go, right. But are they ever going to pay for it? Because it doesn't seem like anybody's paying for the crimes and the sins that they commit. They just apologize. And it just kind of seems to go away. 
I mean, is forgiveness really that cheap? Is that, is that how all of this works? So what, it seems like something we struggle with, right? This seems like a current issue. This idea of forgiveness, it seems like it's, it's something that we're dealing with in the last 10, 15, 20 years. We actually have public apology in front of us. We actually feel like we're actually dealing with this topic of forgiveness. But as we found out the past few weeks, the idea of forgiveness, people wrestling forgiveness, we can find in the pages of Scripture. We discover for thousands of years these questions have been asked. Now, I think this is so helpful. It is helpful for me to know that there are people who have wrestled with the idea of who gets a mulligan? Who, who, gets, who gets a do-over in life? I like that I'm not the only one who wrestles with that. I like that I'm not the only one who's wrestled with this idea of does anybody ever get what they deserve? I like that I'm not the only person who wrestles a little bit with vengeance and, and being avenged and feeling like it's not fair. I mean, I don't want to sit up here and just be like, you know, it's not fair. Like, that's, I don't want to be that person. But inside us, how many times in life, if we're being honest, how many times have we looked at where somebody has hurt us or done something to us, and then we look and we see that nothing happened, and we just go, it's not fair. That is not fair. And don't give me the garbage, well, life's not fair, Ryan. Man, that drives me crazy. And it drives me crazy because I say it to my kids. I literally looked at my daughter and I go, well, you've just learned a lesson, young lady, that life's not fair. And I was like, oh my word, I turned into my father. What is happening? I can't even, what is going on? And then I'm proud, right? Well, I think I'll put on some, some white shoes and walk in my yard and start yelling at some kids. Maybe that'll make me feel even better. So like, we, we, we all have this though, right? That we, we say, well, what is it? Do people get what they deserve? What happens here? Now, we looked in detail at this last week. And I want to go back for a few minutes because this sets the context. This story to me, I think, is so important. It was the story of Joseph. Joseph and his coat of many colors. You probably know who Joseph is or you've heard ideas of, or parts of his story before. Now, he was the son of a man named Jacob who had 11 other sons. Joseph was by far his favorite. I know we're not supposed to have favorites. Apparently in the Bible it was okay. They had some favorites. He, he bought him, made him a coat of this many colors. And, and, and it's kind of like he, he, it's bad enough as a parent when you have a favorite. Let's be honest, we all do. It's bad enough when you have a favorite. But then to say, let me put an insignia on you to prove that you're my favorite. I just want the 11 to make sure that they're aware that they know. It's like his dad puts a, he should have just made it a target of many colors, right? And just set it right on him. Because his brothers look and they're like, seriously? And then what's worse about it is that Joseph, if you read his story, he starts, telling, he starts having these dreams and he doesn't keep this stuff to himself. He's one of these guys that what's inside should have stayed inside, but what's inside comes outside, and he's like, I'm having these great dreams, and guys, I'm going to be somebody special and important and powerful. I'm going to rule over all of you. And the brothers are like, okay, <laughs> listen. And it turned, but it, but it gets ugly real quick. It moves from just sibling rivalry to a serious deep sense of hatred. And I can get it. I don't think it's just the viciousness of the Old Testament time. I don't think it's just the viciousness of the era. 
they look and they realize he's getting the blessing of our father. It was a big deal back in that time to be the favorite. And they're looking and they're saying, he's going to have all this control and this power. And this isn't, this isn't fair. So they devise a plan and they say, well, here's what we'll do. And you can kind of see the personalities of the 11 different brothers kind of coming out here because they have this conversation. Joseph's coming down the road towards them. They're away from their dad. They're, they're, and they see Joseph. And, and you, can, you can hear the personalities because, you know, a couple of the brothers look and they say, hey, here comes Joseph. Let's get him. And then one brother looks over and he's like, let's kill him. You know, the other brother goes, whoa. One of the brothers says, what are you doing? Are you serious? No, we're not going to kill him. You know, let's kill him. That's a great idea, you know. And they're kind of infighting with each other about what they should do to this brother. It's amazing to think about and, and hear this. Well, the one brother convinces. He says, no, 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 let's not kill him. We're going to dig this hole. We're going to throw him in this, this cistern. We're going to throw him in here. We're going to keep get him, just gonna get rid of him. And these people from Egypt come around and they say, okay, let's, let's just sell Joseph. Let's sell him into slavery. We'll just get rid of him. He's still alive. We didn't kill him. We didn't really do anything wrong. We'll just sell him into slavery. He'll be fine. Get rid of him. We just want to get rid of him. Yeah, I don't even know if they realize just how awful they truly are. But Joseph goes into slavery for 13 years. All this incredible amount of time to build up resentment. Like, I, like we've been slighted in life, right? You've been slighted in life. And it, it ruined your week. Maybe it ruined your year. Maybe you feel like it ruined your whole life. Now you're getting close to the feeling Joseph had. Can you imagine looking at your life? He doesn't know that his slavery is ever going to end. He thinks, my life is gone. They have stolen my life from me. So imagine those 13 years. Imagine the resentment that starts to build up. Imagine the hatred that you start to feel. You know, we look at the one brother who says, let's kill him, and we, we start to judge that a little bit and say, man, that seems a little harsh. I have to imagine, if I'm, if I'm Joseph, I'll be honest here, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking of all the ways that I'm going to kill all 11 of them if I ever get out of this situation, Right? I'm going to come up with some creative stuff because they're going to get their payback, right? You can imagine him writing this down, drawing pictures of it on the wall. He is filled. I mean, at least I would be. You'd be filled with some serious anger and resentment and drive for vengeance. And then what's awesome about this story is that he gets the opportunity. His dreams come true. Through incredible circumstances, Joseph becomes in charge of a significant part of the Egyptian empire. They save a bunch of grain. There's a famine that hits the entire world. And here's Egypt sitting with all the grain. And here come his brothers. Now they're the ones traveling down the road. And they're coming to buy grain because they're starving. And who do they walk into? Whose room? Joseph. And now Joseph is sitting on the throne looking down at his brothers and they're asking, we need some grain. We're we're starving. Help us. Then they realize who it is. And they think, well, we're dead. This is the end of it. It is all over. And then Joseph does the incredible. He showed us this incredible pattern of forgiveness that we talked about last week. Joseph said to them, I just, and, and can you imagine the scene for just a second? Like, I want you to, 
join me for a second in this. I, I want you to feel this scene. I think this is important. I want you to feel the brothers have empathy for what they must be feeling as they're looking up to their brother on this throne, looking down on them. They're on their knees begging, make us your slaves. Don't kill us, just make us your slaves. We'll do anything you want. Can you imagine that feeling of of helplessness? That feeling of forgiveness, desperation. It's on their minds, doing anything so their brother won't get his vengeance. And I want you to imagine for a second, imagine that you're Joseph. Imagine sitting up and looking down at these brothers. That feeling of, it's payback time. Can you feel that welling up inside of you? 13 years of slavery and injustice, thinking, I'm going to finally get them back somebody's going to get what they deserve. He said, man, that, Ryan, that is, that is, that is some strong feeling there. Have you ever felt that way? I'm going to get this person back. I'm going to get some justice. The universe has set this in motion in a place where I can finally get justice that's due to these brothers. And then Joseph says what seems impossible. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. And spoke kindly to them. Now the reason I wanted to tell you this story again. The reason that I told it last week. I I think this is such an important story in scripture. Because the people who were writing down this story. Were looking back at history as they wrote down these words. Remember so many of the stories of scripture. Were stories of oral tradition that were told over and over and over again. And the first time that they're being written down, people are looking back and they're saying, what stories do we need to tell the future generations so they understand where we came from, who God is, what his plan is for us, how we're supposed to live? And what is crazy about this is the first time that forgiveness is ever mentioned in the Bible is this story. And it's one of the very first stories that we hear in Scripture. These people are writing down an entire set of stories, history, songs, that became sacred text. And they're inviting us to wrestle with a story like this. Find yourselves in the stories. Find how you're supposed to live. And so Joseph's story sets this pattern of forgiveness. And listen to this. I want want to make sure this is clear. I, I wrote a lot of this down because I wanted this to be clear. Joseph didn't minimize the pain that his brothers caused, right? We talked about that last week. He also didn't believe it was his responsibility to execute justice as much as he felt that it was his responsibility. He didn't. He saw his experience in a very different way. He wasn't called to forget what they did. He was called to renounce that he's responsible for revenge. And then there's this cool thing, and I don't want to go too far into this because we talked about it last week, but I think this is so cool, that the word that is used here, 
the word that he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I, I, I was talking to someone last week about this, that it's such an awesome word. The root word for intended there is the same word as the word weave. So the story that you were trying to weave for me was a story that you meant for harm. You were trying to weave a story together to tell my story in such a way that would be a story of harm and hurt and pain. And you left the ends all tattered and undone, and that's exactly how Joseph could have felt. And Joseph looks back on the story, and he says, but the story that you intended, that you were weaving together for harm, God is going to take it, and he's going to weave it for good. He takes the tattered ends, all the mistakes, all the brokenness of the story. He takes this ripped up story and he begins to weave it in such a way that he sees something beautiful. And imagine this. Joseph can't even begin to imagine where that story is going to end. All he sees is that he's at the point here where the story could stop. It could end here. It could end with vengeance. And he says, I'm not going to weave the story either. You don't get to weave it. I'm not going to weave it. I'm going to let God weave this story. And he is going to weave it for good. Just watch. He shows us that forgiveness is faith and trust in God, that no matter the hurt that we've experienced, the person who hurt us doesn't own it. We don't own it. God will take and do something with it. It's an incredible story of forgiveness. And it's a story that the, these writers want us to wrestle with at the very beginning. They say, this is the pattern. This is the story. So, of course, if we start from here, right, and they tell the stories, this must be the way the whole scriptures are written, right? It must all be stories of beautiful forgiveness all the way until Jesus, right? It's perfect, isn't it? See, sadly, we know that's not the case. Sadly, the story of forgiveness that we find in Joseph isn't the norm of scripture, It's not the norm we see in the world today. It wasn't the norm in the ancient world. So get this. So right besides the stories of forgiveness of Joseph, we find stories of Scripture that go in an absolute opposite direction. Next to stories of faith and trust, the story is going to be written the way that God wants it to be written. It's going to be beautiful. We can never even imagine what it's going to look like. We see stories where someone takes the tattered ends of their story and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to get my vengeance. I don't have a faith and trust in what God can do with this. I'm going to get my vengeance. This person is going to get what they deserve. Sadly, this is 99% of the story. This is the story of our world that we live in. This is the story of vengeance, of destruction, power, and retaliation. It's the story of our world. It's a story of how we have these borders that go around different countries. It's why we are in the place that we are today. It's about destruction, and people gain power, and they get their vengeance. And they get destroyed, and they get their power, and they get vengeance. They get destroyed, get power, and they get vengeance. And where Joseph broke that pattern, nobody learned his lesson. Nobody learns from it. And they just go right back into that pattern of behavior that continues over and over and over again in scriptures. Now, Joseph showed us how to break this cycle. 
he turns justice over to God. He relinquishes his desire for vengeance. But to do that, to be able to even do that, we have to turn our anger, our resentment, and the hurt that we've experienced over to God. But we have to be honest with it. We have to know what to do with it. I don't think we're supposed to just simply go, you know what? I'm not angry. That's called bottling up your feelings. And it usually doesn't end very well. Do do you think Joseph wasn't angry? Do Do you think he just, you know what? I'm great. Everything's good. It kind of reminds me, does anybody like Seinfeld? And no, this is in my notes, but it just kind of made me think of something. Does anybody remember when Kramer was trying to bottle up his feelings and he started walking around going, serenity now. Serenity now. And something would happen, serenity now. And he's like taught this whole like way to live and be and serenity now. And you think, wow, he's found a whole new way to live. Maybe I should try it. And by the end of the episode, the final scenes, he absolutely loses his mind and just goes completely nuts. And that's, that's what's happening here. If you, if you bottle it all up and just put it all away, that, that's not it. I think what we learn is we have to be honest with our anger. We have to be honest with our desire to have vengeance and justice. We have to know how to turn it over to God. Now, here's the cool thing. I told you that there are stories of forgiveness that we see with Joseph. There are stories of vengeance that are all throughout the scriptures. And there's also a place that we learn what we are supposed to do with feelings of anger and vengeance and hatred and hurt and all of that. And we find it in a book called the Book of Psalms. Now, the Psalms are the ancient songs of the Israelite people that are found in the Bible. They're a collection of, of songs and poems, and, and I, I love the Psalms. They, they reveal so much about what people thought about God, the emotions they felt. So, some of them find their way into the words that we sing. So as we sing some of these songs, there's some, some of the Psalms sometimes come through to those. For others, if you listen to the way that the psalmists have to sing and the things that they say, they don't sound a lot different than songs we hear on the radio. They're dealing with deep-seated emotions and issues, and, and that's what the psalms are. They're just filled with passion and feeling and emotion. They're songs. These are the songs of the people. They're the soundtrack of the Bible. Now, in the middle of these... I want to read you a couple psalms that I don't know that I have ever read in church before. I don't think these are things that I would create a meme out of that has like a beautiful sunset. Though I'd like you to imagine that because then it would really, this will really feel strange. Listen to these psalms and then I'm going to explain why I think they're so important. Psalm 5810, listen to this. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged. When they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. So that's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Now I want you to imagine with me for a second. One of those Facebook things that your grandma shares. Has like a green pasture. Right? And I want you to imagine these pretty words across the front of that. Right? And then she has in the post... 99% of you won't share these words from God. 
The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. It sounds like something from the Avengers movies, and it's so awesome. Now listen to this. Psalm 58 is not alone in this weird kind of stuff. It's called an imprecatory psalm. So imprecatory means curse or it means judgment. I like to just call them unexpected. You don't think that these are going to be in the Bible. And frankly, these are some of the ugliest things you'll ever read in Scripture. They reveal a brutality, a desire for revenge. If these don't make you cringe, there's something seriously wrong with you. Now, that's Psalm, listen to this. That was Psalm 58. Let me read Psalm 137. Now, before, I, before you put it up, let me, let me explain it. This psalm, Psalm 137, is written from the perspective of a conquered people, okay? They watched their city being destroyed as they were carted off into slavery. And we find this moment, the, 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 the context of this psalm is that these people are sitting around and they're being mocked by their captors. Their captors say, hey, sing us one of your folk songs. <laughs> Can you imagine the feeling of anger? You saw your city destroyed. You're sitting around with your fellow slaves now among your conquered people, and they look at you and they go, hey, could you guys sing one of us your folk songs? And you're like, can you find me the sharpest spear? Listen to the words that they say. Listen to how they describe their feelings that they have. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. Forget it. We're not going to sing. I don't feel like singing. I don't have a reason to sing right now. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And I want to imagine that there's all sort of nastiness when they say that. Oh, hey, why don't you sing us one of your pretty songs? Are you angry yet? Are you feeling what that feels like? You ever had someone mock you like that? How can we sing the songs of the Lord on a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Okay, this seems, this seems okay. Now it's going to get really bad. Remember, Lord. So now we're praying. We have turned from looking at these people who are tormenting and mocking us Now we're turning and we're praying. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. And now here's the feelings of what that feels like. Daughter Babylon. So these are the mockers, the tormentors. These are, now we're speaking directly to the people. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Keep it right there. Listen to that again. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Now, I can barely, I'm I'm being serious here. I can barely read this next verse. Listen to the next verse. Happy is the one who seizes your infants And dashes them against the rocks. 
how is this in the Bible? Isn't, isn't, this the, isn't this the reason right here that people don't read the Bible? I mean, if people knew that this stuff was there, why would anybody want to be a Christian? Th- this is the stuff that makes people go, see, I told you. See, we try to hide this stuff. We try to bury these kind of words. We say, well, they're there, but, but you know, we don't really, we don't sing those, right? This is why you cherry pick parts of the Psalms. When they show up on Facebook or in worship, and we, and we don't read the next couple lines because there are quite a few places where there's things like this. There's another one, one of my favorites. <laughs> Maybe we'll create a song out of this. There's one of them. It says, may you be like a slug gets in water and dissolves away. I mean, that's, that's a burn, man. Like, that is a, a literal burn. That is, I mean, that is rough. So, what do you do with these? Can we, can we just take a knife? I mean, should we do Thomas Jefferson style and take a knife and just slice this part out of the Bible and go, this probably doesn't belong here. Let's just pretend this doesn't exist. Here, here's what I want us to do, though. I want us to wrestle with it. Why is it here? What's it trying to teach us? Why do these people write down stories about Joseph and his forgiveness? Why do they tell stories of vengeance? And why do they have psalms like this all in the same scriptures? What is happening? What are we supposed to do with this? See, I'm not interested in hiding stuff like this. I don't think it does us any good to tell people don't read that part of the Bible. Ignore that part of the Bible. Don't worry about that part. You know, that's how you develop some serious crisis of faith. We need to wrestle with the hard parts of Scripture. We need to wrestle with the things that make us feel very uncomfortable. I say it a lot. We need to lean into that stuff, not away from it. Because, guys, I think, I, I think there's actually something really powerful going on here. And I want you to understand this. I'm not coming from a perspective where I had this all figured out. I knew I wanted to talk about these psalms. I had no idea where I was going to land with it. And I said, God, I want to wrestle with these. I want to find out why they're here. I want to understand them. And I want to see if there's something we can learn. And guys, I think there is. I think there is something so incredibly powerful here that will change how we understand forgiveness. And I don't mean that as some kind of just, you know, pop psychology way, just popping out there going, this is going to change your life. I mean, this is at the depth and heart of Scripture. I think this matters so much. And I'm, I'm disappointed that it took me this long to understand what's happening here. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, that is some nasty, nasty language. But here's what it is. Rather than stuffing the pain and the hurt and the temptation for vengeance that these people were feeling, did you see what they did? They speak it out loud. And they don't just speak it out loud to each other. 
This is the best part. They listen to this. It doesn't say, it doesn't say this. Remember what the Edomites did to us on the way Jerusalem fell. What is between the commas is so important understanding this. It's not remember what the Edomites did on us the day Jerusalem fell. They're not speaking to each other here. Look what's between here. Uh, Tim, go back real quick. Go back to uh, 7, verse 7. Look between, look between the commas. Remember, Lord. This turns from this declaration of anger and vengeance and hatred and all of this feeling. It turns from a place of we're talking about it together to I'm singing this to God. I'm saying out loud the feelings that are inside my heart. I'm not going to bottle them up. I'm not going to act like they're not there. I'm not going to turn to other people and start just complaining and, and putting it out there and screaming about this. I mean, they have every right to say, can you believe these awful people? Oh my gosh, I can't wait till they get vengeance. I can't wait till we can avenge what they've done to us. Like, I just, oh, I just want to take their kids. And I just, like, really? Like, that is so ugly. Who says that? But they confess it. This turns into a psalm, into a song of like hatred and vengeance, into a psalm of confession. They start confessing what is going deep within them. Now listen to this last line. I wrote this because I think this is so important. Unless these words are released, they will continue to live in darkness in each and every one of us. And you sit there and you want to judge this person and go, I can't believe that that person is imagining slamming someone's kids into rocks. Like, what is wrong with these people? Don't tell me that you haven't had some deep-seated, nasty, dark thoughts about getting your revenge on somebody else. I'm not going to, I do truly pray that you have not said, I hope something bad happens to their children. But how many of us I really hope something bad happens to that person. Did I say that out loud? Oops. Man, it'd be really unfortunate if something happened. Oh, sorry. No. This is teaching us, own it. God, I'm going to be honest with you. I want something really, really bad to happen to that person. There's two things that happen if you don't. If we don't turn those words into songs and psalms and words of confession, we bottle them up, they turn into darkness inside of us, or we end up doing something about it. And we get our revenge in some way, and the cycle just keeps going over and over again. Now listen to this. This is fascinating. Hundreds of years later, Jesus was speaking to a crowd. Listen to the words that he said. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. He's talking to the Pharisees about all these rules they had about what was clean and unclean. He says, it's not the stuff that goes in, man. He said, it's the stuff that comes out. And then listen to this, Luke 6.45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
So for some of us, our pain, our hurt, our resentment has been buried deep within our hearts. We've allowed it to grow into a darkness that we're ashamed to share. We whisper words of anger and vengeance as we imagine our enemies facing the justice that they so very well deserve. For others of us, our pain, our hurt, resentment, it's misdirected. We share these hurts with our friends, with our neighbors, even random people we've just met. Do you know that kind of person who's so hurt that they meet someone for the first time and they just throw up all their anger all over them? You're like, where did that come from? It's because they've allowed this nastiness to just continue to grow deep in their hearts. And when they get the opportunity, it just, it just comes out. And they just misdirect it. Anybody who will listen. So rather than heal our hearts, we end up dragging ourselves and everyone into darkness and sin right along with us. So we end up living in this world where vengeance never stops. Our pain, our hurt, it just gets misdirected. And rather than give those things over to God, we just continue to store them up in our hearts. Something that was never made to carry a burden that big. Hear me on this. Your heart was never made to carry a burden that big. Your heart was not designed, your soul was not designed to bottle up those feelings. These psalms show us there is a different way to live. You know, they're really ugly. They're pretty awful words, but they're honest. They're honest confessions of what is deep inside the writers. Listen to this. Forgiveness? Forgiveness isn't ignoring the pain someone caused us. It's not. Forgiveness is not ignoring the pain that was caused. Forgiveness isn't being numb about our feelings or never expressing them. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is expressing our hurt to the only one who can truly heal our pain. Forgiveness is expressing our hurt to the only one who can truly heal our pain. Bottom line. God is big enough to handle your anger. God is big enough to handle the darkness of unforgiveness that is living deep within your heart. These psalms teach us God can handle whatever you throw at him. I can't believe that I'm going to suggest this this week because this sounds so strange. But I believe this is so important. I want you to take some time. I want you to practice prayers of confession of what is going on deep within your heart and say, God, I'm going to share, and I don't know what language you're going to use. I don't know what you're going to say. You might not even know what you're going to say. Just pour it out. And get that stuff out and let God cleanse and heal the stuff that is going on deep within your heart. That is the path to forgiveness.
Let's pray. God, this morning as we close, God, I think about the songs that we sang this morning. I think about how hard it is at times for us to sing. And God, help us to see in these psalms that right beside words of worship, right beside words of faith and trust and love, come honest words of hurt and anger and resentment. God, help us to stop living with this inside our lives. Help us to trust and believe in you, God, that we can speak these words, that we can confess what is going on in our hearts, God, and that you will heal us. God, help us to turn this over to the only one who can heal us. Help us to give these words to Jesus. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.